0: prize picks will match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars just visit prizepicks.com slash play 100 and use code play 100 that's code play 100 at prizepicks.com slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network
1: Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Footmarks Podcast. I think it's number 14, if I'm not wrong. Well, I'm your host, Baram Kazi, and with me is Jared Kimber. And we're actually going to talk about something super fun today. It's off-season, so I actually went and took a look at your old pieces, Jared, and I came up with one, or, or observed one, which was on weird and historical T2011 that you constructed. So I thought, why not go ahead and record a podcast and... It's interesting how you start this piece with a mention of Jim Fote. And for those who don't know, Jim Fote played 129 list A games for Gloucester, had a mop on his head for hair, had big rimmed and framed glasses, and he averaged 15 with the bat. And that is in 129 games. Now add 91 first class fixtures to that. And he averaged 18 and a half. And it's not like, you know, he was playing in a team which was just not that great. He was playing with the likes of Zahir Abbas, mm-hmm. uh, Sadiq Muhammad, and who else do we have over there? Mike Proctor. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, big names over there, right? And you basically go on to tell us that he was an exceptional fielder, and that's why Gloucestershire kept you know uh, him on the payroll. So, talk to me about this man and how he inspired you to construct this weird and historical T Twenty eleven.
2: Do you know what? I remember it came out of a tweet where someone had put up a post saying, you know which player from history would you have loved to see in T20 cricket the most? And there was like, you know, mm. 83 um, mentions of Viv Richards, right? And, you know, mm. um, you know players like that, you know, a couple of Victor Trumpers was thrown in there and Garfield Sobers mm. and this sort of stuff. And I was like, yeah, that, that's obvious. Like, you could construct a pretty good 11 of players who were known as attacking test players and never got to play one-day cricket or only one-day mm. cricket, not T20 cricket. And... I put up as a joke, Jim Fote. And I remember, I think Mm. it was Alan Butcher, former Zimbabwe coach and Surrey coach and England player, who's like, was, I think he thought I was making fun of Jim Fote. And, (laughs) but what I said to him was, well, wait a minute, Alan, if this guy was that good a fielder, that essentially he was willing to have no, add no runs to a situation with the bat. And yet (laughs) they still thought it was worth it. And there's some great stories about him, you know, changing games in the field. Um, He's not the only one. There's there's a guy called Jim Prodger who played for Kent, who I think averages about 22 or 23 with a bat, and again was known Mm. as this absolutely brilliant fielder. In fact, there's a Double Century episode that comes out about him um, uh, soon where he's the only player in uh, first-class cricket history to take a catch and make a first-class 50 in the same innings because he was substituting for the other team at one stage. Um, But the point is those guys did exist, and Jim Foke was thought to be the genius of that right so if you look at mm. colin bland do, do you know who colin bland is is that a name that's ever come up before mm. so colin bland is like the um prototype for what john c roads and DeVille has become you know ah. incredible fielders you know the, the the famous story about colin bland is that his fielding practice was so good that people would come and watch him field, do fielding practice and you know the only team i've ever felt that way about was Papua new guinea um who mm. yeah, incredible uh, their fielding practice as well it's very rare that even Barrett doesn't watch fielding practice, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's just not something that we generally get excited about. But Colin Bland was that incredible. But Colin Bland, I think, averages something like 47 in Test cricket. Didn't play a lot of games because you know, he was at the wrong time for South African cricket and you know, the band mm-hmm. comes along. I, th- I think that's right. I, th- I think I'm right in saying that he ran into that. Either way, I don't think he played as much Test cricket as he could have. But he's in the side because he's a great batter who happens to be a great fielder. Jim Fo mm. is playing with, as you said, absolute legends of the game, right? Yeah. And he's adding nothing with the bat, and yet they're picking him game after game after game. Um,
1: and he has a cult following on top of that, right? Yeah,
2: and his you cult mentioned. following was incredible. <laughs> like, the, the idea that that a first-class cricketer who wasn't particularly good at batting or bowling, would have, like, I think he's got like some disease named after him, or maybe it's the cure. I can't even remember now. But there was a Jim Fote um, fan society. If you mentioned Jim Fote to a cricket fan over the age of 45, like a county cricket fan over the age of 45, they all have opinions on this guy, right? Mm. And cricket wasn't covered. It's not like the 100, right? Do you know what I mean? Right. You had to find Jim Fote in those days. So I, I just thought it was really interesting. And, and the reason I said it, was if Jim Folk was that good a fielder, is it, potential, is it potentially the case that if we had a fielder that much better than anyone else now, should they be playing? Because I've made this argument quite a bit that it, mm. it, it's really confusing to me that so many top T20 teams don't hire Hayden Walsh Jr. and Fabian Allen, right? Because they mm. are clearly two of the best fielders in the world. And okay, you may not think they're good enough for batting or bowling, but as your 12th, but Fabian Allen is incredible. And I would I would have said that at his best, Hayden Walsh Jr. was even better. They were both better than, you know, someone like Jadeja or, you know, or Andrew mm. Simons. Just absolutely incredible at the way they covered ground. Uh, you know, the accuracy of the throws, their athleticism, all these different things. Um, and I was that's where the Jim Fote thing came from, which was mm. okay, I'll get Jim Fote in my T20 squad. Um, And I won't play him as a batter or a bowler, but I tell you what, every time someone comes off the field, Jim Fote is going to be out there and he's going to be doing everything I want him to. Whatever the hardest fielding position is for this particular bowler, Jim Fote is in it.
1: Yeah, well, if anyone over here knows about Jim Ford or has a story to share, do let us know. We love a Jim Ford story or two. And I checked out his quick info and I, I actually kind of like the hair. I know that, <laughs> you know, you might judge me for that, but I actually kind of like the hair. I'm digging it. Anyway, you go on to talk about how, you know, red ball specialists of yesteryear, much like Sonny Gavaskar, Even in this day and age, if they were playing, they would have inevitably chased that paycheck and crafted a T20 game. So the basis of your 11, is it players who don't generally fit that T20 template and are like former cricketers from way back and, uh, you know, you still think that they would have... Performed a certain way in the modern day game? Is is have I got that right? Yeah. So I, I picked a couple
2: of guys who did play one day cricket. Obviously, Sano hmm. did. Um, I think Glenn Turner's in the side as well, isn't he? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the, I think might be one or two of the bowlers might have been. Uh, guys who played one day, a little bit of one day cricket as well. Hmm. What what I really wanted to do is I wanted to pick stories to illustrate a how t20 cricket is currently played but also hmm. so the son of gavaska one's really really important so i briefly dated this woman who was a writer worst mistake ever don't date another writer but <laughs> um i briefly dated this woman who was a writer and she had this big thing about how um she only wrote in freehand because shakespeare had hmm. right and i'm sitting there going okay i get that but you do realize if shakespeare had a typewriter he would use the typewriter <laughs> He would be using a smartphone if you only, uh, he'd be using chat GPT now, right'd be would it I mean Shakespeare was a genius what He wasn't like a throwback to another era. he was his own era mm. and there was a bit of the the similar sort of thing with San Gavaskar. you hear people sometimes say things about Sanno Gavaskar and they say, "Oh yeah, but um, he was such a purist he would never have played cricket this way and I think you know mm. I, I had boycott in there as well. yeah, you look at their careers and they did adapt a little bit to it white ball Mm. cricket. It wasn't always white ball cricket when they were playing, but, you know, limited overs cricket. And that Mm. Sonny ends up being a fairly decent player. And the Jeffrey Boycott, you know, the most selfish man in the world was bowling in limited overs cricket, probably because, you know, it either helped him get paid a little bit more or made sure he got picked for each game or he just realized it was something that someone like him had to do, right? And we don't think about what those players would be like now, but there would still be in this day and age. Craig Brathwaite is never going to be a T20 player, right? Dom Sibley is never going to be a T20. We know there are some players without those skills. But Gavasker mm. and Boycott were not those guys, right? Gavasker and Boycott right. got, got, were proper, you know, in, in Gavaskar's case, probably an S-tier level player. You know, Boycott's mm. probably an A-tier level player of all time in, in cricket. They would have found a way to be really, really handy. And it was something that I really wanted to explain of the uh, – W- that they would have done that. And so a lot of the mm. players I picked in this, I picked because I wanted to guess how they would have gone in T20 cricket if they'd taken mm. it seriously, but also explain a-, a deeper story. And I think, you know, in those sorts of cases, there is absolutely no doubt that Boycott would have been that kind of a T20 player that would have worked it out because it would have paid him more money. And Gavaskar was mm. exactly the same. And they would have found a way to adapt to it in a way that Callis did. Right. Um. trying to think of someone else uh, Raul Dravid. Dravid did hmm. They might not have been brilliant at it But they would have found a way to make money off it uh, Because that's where the money is
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting And Jeffrey Boycott, of course, he was your first pick Kind of pipped Kavaska as your opener And, you know, there's a lot of talk about Jeffrey Boycott being boring and selfish But there's so much more to him than that, right? Even perhaps his grandmother Who makes such a frequent mention in his commentary, right? Of she, she being uh, sort of Ganguly Yeah. (laughs) But uh, it's interesting how you mentioned that he definitely loved a paycheck, right? Mm. And how he was rolling his arm as well. So, you mentioned that if he was a T20 player, he would be that reliable set of hands who might sometimes get you a good start, but would kind of crack it. Mm. It would be interesting, right? Because Jeffrey Boycott is not a big fan of baseball either. So, I mean, how do you, like... How do you come up with that projected stat uh, thing that you have for each player? Because you had, I, I think, 35 at 135 for Jeffrey Boycott. So talk me through that.
2: Yeah, so what Boycott would have done is very similar to what early Shan Masood did, right? Hmm. Which is How
1: early Shan Masood are we talking about? That,
2: the, the Shan Masood that first was good in the PSL. Okay. Right? You know, I'm, I mean, me and Sean have talked about this on my podcast before. We, I told him how to basically make his numbers look better in T20 cricket without him hmm. being, you know, a great T20 player. And hmm. he's gone on to be a better player than me and him originally discussed. So it's even more interesting hmm. from that point of view. But I, I said to him, you know, you, you take the risks in that, in that power play to get yourself a strike rate of seven, seven and a half and over. Hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe even more than that, maybe eight, even eight and a half and over. But you're not playing any shots that are outside of your strength you're hitting to where the boundaries are you know, um, available to you. You're probably chipping more than you are hitting, hmm. right? And then you're getting to the point where from overs, let's say seven to 10, you're scoring at a runner ball. At that stage, you should be somewhere around 50 off 35 or off 40. Then you're set and you can have some fun, right? Hmm. Most of the time it won't work, but the times when it does work, you, you know, you'll end up with a really good strike, right? Or if you go out, in the power play, you'll probably have a really good strike rate, but you'll end up with a decent average. Boycott wouldn't have – no offence to Sean Massoud, who's a very smart <laughs> cricketer. Boycott wouldn't have needed to be told that. He would have taken one look at the T20 cricket and worked that out. Right? He, mm. That's how smart Boycott was, right? We now see him as this old racist clown buffoon, right? <laughs> uh, uh, you, know, uh, 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 you know, the whole thing with his – I don't think it was his wife, but, you know, living partner, whatever she was. All those things, you know, we look at all that nonsense around Boycott – but the man was a next level genius when it came to working these mm. sorts of things out. And he would have been like, great, I don't need to take any risks here. And if you look through the world of T20 cricket, there's a lot of guys with a similar kind of record to what I described there, right? Where they're just like, never going to play T20 cricket properly, but I can make it look good enough that I'm good at that ability. And so that's what I tried to do with those sorts of players is I, I use pre-existing templates to work out what kind of a T20 cricketer they may have been because I think most of the players i picked here are odd T20 cricket players. They're not. Hmm. I didn't pick Victor Trumper and, and Viv Richards and those guys, right? Hmm. I specifically went about picking guys that it was harder to guess how they would have gone in these in these things. But in Boycott's case, I really wanted to make a point of he would have been just above average in in, in terms of the amount of runs he made but also the speed of runs he made to make sure that he always got picked. You know, and then he would have bowled his little bit of dirty off spin every now and again, probably would have, (laughs) knowing him probably would have bowled it when it was at, you know, he would have been begging for the seventh over, over and over again, right? Uh, To you know, get himself in a situation, make his numbers look a little bit better. That's the kind of cricketer he was, right? And and look, you can make an argument about him being selfish and all that sort of stuff. I think that's probably fair, but a lot of great batters are Mm. selfish, but he would have also made himself into a good T20 player by also being selfish through that way.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Now, your second opener is a man whose name draws ire and celebration probably equally in contemporary cricket. We literally did a podcast on him last week. Vinu Mankad, who is opening the batting for you. Of course, if for anyone who watched that podcast will know that Vinu, the batter, was at his best when he was opening the batting. And he was a hard-hitting sort of all-rounder. And then a great defensive bowler on top, you know, with his quality left-arm spin. So, was he a shoe-in in your 11? Because I think you're really fascinated with Munkad, aren't you? Yeah, I, th-
2: I think he's in that team as much as anything because he's kind of that ideal T20 opener. So, mm-hmm. I always thought that Dananjaya da Silva, that should have been his role, right? Where you go, mm-hmm. okay, you know, Munker was a, was a was a talent, but he's probably, you know, not... You don't ever want him to be in your best five batters in a team. But if he's your sixth mm-hmm. best batter... Now, you know, that sort of – now you've got a very, very strong team. Dana Jay, the silver is about the same. But the problem with Mancat or J the silver is I think if you bat them down the order, they don't quite have the um, ability probably to get the ball away consistently. So no, you know that Mancat was a hard hitter of the ball, but generally it took him a long mm. time to do that. Well, those players mm. generally do a lot better when they open in T20 cricket. Fair then enough. you look at the great – you know, if you can get – the more bowling you can get in your top six, the better – you can, With it, mm. if you're not losing anything on, on, um, on your batting. So we've got a couple of dirty overs from Boycott when we need them, right? Mm. But now we have a sort of, not, not a similar in style, but a sort mm. of similar type of bowler to someone like Imad Wazim, right? Mm. Now, I don't need him because he's batting in my top six. I, now no, don't long, I no longer need him to bowl his full um, amount of overs. But between my right. two openers, I can get probably five overs a game Right? I'm massively mm. ahead of the game. And the thing is that his kind of level of talent is probably would have been more suited to one-day cricket and T20 cricket because he could hit mm. the ball very hard. He did have a, enough batting ability to face the new ball in red ball cricket, so we certainly know he could have done it in white ball cricket, and he was a good defensive bowler. In some ways, he was born about 50 years before he should have been. Um, hmm. But again, he's not, an, he's not one of those guys where if, if you were saying, oh, I'm building the best T20 team of all time from old cricketers, you'd never pick Vinu Mankad. But when you start to break hmm. it down, you're like, actually, he's the kind of cricketer I should be picking.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I mean, apart from all those things that you mentioned, of course, he could be running out batters at the non-strikers end. So there's that whole aspect to it. I suppose, (laughs) if he wanted to, that's his decision. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, you were speaking about, you know, batters who offer something with the ball. Well, the guy you have at number three has 2,809 wickets in first-class cricket at 18. And this guy is also arguably the greatest batter of his generation. And he was bigger than the sport itself. Maybe even much beyond, you know, after you know, he retired and everything. W.G. Grace, of course, he has Gates at Lords of his name as well. And he was a bit of an innovator, which you mentioned in the piece. And, you know, there was never going to be a world, was there, in which you weren't going to have W.G. Grace as number three in this eleven? Yeah, I, I would have thought that
2: I reckon he would have been the second name I thought of after Fote. I, I'm trying to remember hmm. back. I actually wrote this a long time ago and then for whatever reason, we didn't make a video on it straight away. So I'm trying to remember, but I know that Grace was, because I think in the article in the video, I pushed him to the end, right? But yeah, my memory was that Fote and Grace were the first two guys that, that I came up hmm. with. And I, again, what I, I suppose that Grace is now synonymous with old cricket, right? Which is hmm. fine, of course. You know, he played 170 years ago. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. But that means you don't think about him as a brand. And he was a brand 150 years before we ever used that term in sport, right? right. You know, one of the first po- people to have his face on things that had ever existed. He was known around the world at a time when being known around the world was almost impossible. He was probably True. the first great su- um, multinational sports superstar, right? Mm. And he was, you know, they charged extra for the games that he played in, he took a cut of all these different games he would play in uh, there's all these great stories of when he went to australia of him playing in like random country towns because they had enough money Mm. to get him there right like he didn't give a shit he would play anywhere for money and that side of him is an honest representation of who wg grace was but it's not the side that england really portray anymore they'll give you a little bit of always a bit of a rascal you know uh, uh, they're mm-hmm. here to watch me bat not you umpire and i'll put the bales back on and put that extra run on my score so i get a higher score and all that sort of stuff and it's sort of done <laughs> as a cheeky chappy sort of thing he wasn't he was a ruthless exploiter of his own fame of his own talent um and he did everything he could to make as much money from cricket as possible outside of like a five-year period where he, he randomly became a doctor I'm sure he was making some good sweet coin there Bayram, as well but <laughs> yeah, you know course. He did everything he could to do that, and he was an innovator as a cricketer. He, he basically invented batting as we know it today. Um, mm. The game wasn't like that beforehand. Um, the fact he would, you know, a lot of gents, how many b- wickets did you say it was? 2,100? 2,809. Two thousand eight hundred and eight. There weren't a lot of amateurs willing to bowl enough overs to get that many wickets. He did the mm. work right and, and he did he loved batting clearly loved bowling loved captaining as well like you know he was really infatuated by it and if t20 cricket was the form of cricket that was dominant in his era he would have played it and he would have been great at it um and uh he would have annoyed he would have been like a combination of chris gale ian Botham, and shane moore
1: Imagine him playing for like the London spirit and kidnapping a guy from the Oval Invincibles. That would be great, wouldn't it?
2: I mean, (laughs) you know, we
1: don't get enough of that in modern cricket, do we? Definitely not. And I mean, one thing's for sure. I mean, skill set aside, the billing that WG Grace had, you know, it would on its own do do your historic and and weird T2011 a world of good. But anyway, moving forward, number four, very, very tricky position in T20 cricket, of course, because you have to adapt to several different situations. Either you have to accelerate, sometimes you have to do damage control. And your pick was the ultimate freelance cricketer before freelance cricketers became that common, Glenn Turner. And he was, of course, a New Zealander who used to play at a time where New Zealand cricketers were amateurs. And this is a guy who scored 300 runs in a day in one of the games and also had a wide range of shots. Not to mention, he averaged 47 in ODIs. And also the fact that he missed out on six years of test cricket for New Zealand just because he was playing county cricket, which falls very much in line with the whole T20 or franchise T20 model. So, yeah, talk to me about the selection because I'm sure you have lots to say. Yeah,
2: I... I I had trouble finding a number four. I remember thinking that there were kind of lots of different options, but there wasn't any one ideal. And, you know, Mean Dad would have been my number four if I was just picking, like, a great team. Because mean Dad would be the mm. perfect number four in T20 cricket. Um, as it's currently played, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, going ahead, you pick someone, you know, Gilbert Jessup or someone. But at that stage, mm. I think he would have been a really, really good number four, but he was too obvious. And then Glenn Turner came into my head, and and that sort of, freelance element. Again, it allowed me to tell the story that I don't think a lot of people, did you know that Glenn Turner was a freelance cricketer? Like, is that something that- Not did? before I read one of your earlier pieces, yeah. not this one, but we've done something on this before. I've certainly, I, I'm a bit <laughs> obsessed with Glenn Turner. Um, I've tried to get him to chat to me before. Unfortunately, Um, he he said no, but I'd love to sit down with him one day and really chat to him because you talk about him knocking it back for county cricket. He didn't really knock back New Zealand for county cricket because they were playing in two different times. I mean, he kind of did because- hmm. Uh, you know, he wanted to be a professional and New Zealand was a professional, but, but it really was more to do with the fact that he just didn't think New Zealand cricket was run very well and he wasn't mm. going to waste his time, um, and his runs and his energy on New Zealand cricket if they weren't trying everything they do could to be the best of the best. But as you said, he's got 300 in a day. I don't think most people know how good Glenn Turner was because I think his peak years probably knew when he wasn't playing Test cricket. And yet we have these mm. snippets even of him as a test cricketer when you just realize he was just absolutely of another level. But because his average is, I don't know, around 42, 44 um in Test cricket. For an opener, that's oh, for a New Zealand opener, that's like averaging yeah. 60 <laughs> in some <laughs> countries, right? Yeah. But but again, you know, latham was averaging around that for a period of time and no one Mm. has latham as an all-time great or or anything like that you know but i think if turner had played at his peak he probably turns that into 46 47 right and now Mm. you're saying well that's one of the best averages that any new zealand player has had plus he's a new zealand opener yeah i think it puts him on a different pedestal so i wanted to explain who he was but also just the fact that we hadn't a lot of times in cricket really understood that this whole thing of you know, this whole thing of, oh, no, people are paying cricketers to play money and this is ruining the game. I was like, yeah, well, it, this has been going on for hundreds mm. of years and it really affected New Zealand more than almost anyone else. And I thought he was perfect that. But I also just think he would have been a great number four, you know, a very good manipulator of the strike, very innovative, uh, could score quite quickly when he wanted to. Mm. Um, and because he was an opener in Test cricket, if you lose a couple of wickets early on, he'd be perfect for that. Um Not sure how he would have gone if you would have said to him, oh, we're going to put some hitters in ahead of you. Not sure that that Glenn would have vibed with you as much there. But then again, maybe that makes him like a lot of current number fours.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if you've got WG Grace coming in ahead of you, maybe he didn't have that sort of stature to come and say something to the big man. But anyway, for your keeper... This is a very, very interesting pick because you went with someone who was a part-time keeper. It wasn't even his, you know, first and foremost sort of uh, job. And uh, Richard Austin, of course, from the West Indies, he's someone who played both the Kerry Packer League and Rebel Cricket in South Africa. So I'm guessing that had something to do with your selection as well. And he's someone who could pretty much do everything, but wasn't really great at anything. Mm. So what was the thinking behind this? Yeah, I...
2: I <sighs> I think if it was like my fantasy T20 team, I probably would have picked a specialist wicketkeeper. Uh, you know, um, I would have just gone with someone who was the best wicketkeeper of their era and who couldn't bat. Maybe someone like Seymour Clark. <coughs> we can talk about him another day. He's one of my favourite cricketers of all time. <laughs> but, but I think because um, I was trying to find archetypes, I wondered about a player, like I wondered how I could fit a wicketkeeper in who could, worst case scenario, also bowl for you was something that I was hmm. quite interested in. And
1: you know everyone's bowling in your lineup isn't it? Yeah. That, that I was don't the think old idea. Turner
2: can't bowl. <laughs> um mm-hmm. I don't have many. I don't have many ironic, his name is Turner, <laughs> but he he, can. he can't bowl. So. There, but Austin <laughs> Austin could bowl spin and pace. Uh, hmm. and he could bat top order and he could bat in the middle and he could wicket keep. And I just love the idea of someone being that naturally gifted. But also not being so good at any one skill that he could break Consistently into the West Indies team, and this comes back hmm. to the whole T Twenty side of things. Of in if Richard Austin played now, he would have played six years of the IPL, right? He would have played you know a bunch of PSL, maybe some Big Bash, certainly some BPL, you know lower level, you know the Emirates leagues, the major league, all that sort of stuff. He would have played in all that, but it, it, because of the era he played in, and West Indies cricket was so strong, they were like, well, we're going to have to drop a proper batter here or a proper bowler hmm. to fifty men. That's why, you know, part of the reason I think he ended up wicket keeping was it was just him offering who? more things to the team, right? Of like, well, who was what was keeping wicket for them back then? Jeff Dujon? I think it was just before Dujon. Um mm. I think it might have been the Derek Murray point of view. And they want and Derek Murray wasn't uh-huh. a very strong batter, and it was coming into one day cricket. And so teams were just starting to push the small specialist wicket keepers aside and bring in people who could bat. Mm. So, you know, Richard Austin was. Just an absolutely talented, pure cricket athlete. And sadly, Mm. not particularly a bright person. Um, You know, really struggled a lot in his life, made those decisions. I think it was Richard Austin who didn't know what apartheid was when he signed on for um, the Rebel League. Like he knew the term, but he didn't really understand what he was signing on for. Mm. Um, Obviously, he's gone on to have mental health challenges. He's the kind of cricketer that I just think today – yeah, his life still might have ended up poorly, but he would have been in such a stronger position. Whereas, you know, I think, I think there's something in it. You might have the numbers there, but he was paid almost no money to play for the West Indies. 74 USD per test. 74 USD per test. And he got 100 grand to play in the Rebel League. Is that right? Something like that. I think he got paid
1: 20 grand to play in Kerry Packer. Yeah, 20 in Kerry wrong.
2: Packer. And then let's say mm-hmm. between 50 and 100 for the Rebel League. Mm-hmm. Um, but those decisions ended any more earning he was ever going to make. Right, and mm. so he's a proper T20 player in that in that point of view. Of now, he would have just been able to go and play. And you know, we've seen Ben Dunk do this. We've seen Ben Dunk, wicket keep, and also bowl, right? Yeah, and we've seen Glenn Phillips do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Richard Austin is that guy, right? And he was that guy before we knew there was that guy, and. Anyone who can do all those different things on a cricket field automatically for me is—I get a bit obsessed over. You then throw in the tragic backstory and everything that happened. I just thought it was a—it mm. was a fascinating way of going. Um, if I was picking, uh, uh, you know, a keeper, I suppose you'd be looking at people like Don Tallon, uh, Darren Berry. Mm. Um, uh bob what's his name from um from england um who's the other guy i was thinking of bob taylor from england and then um there was someone i like, oh, clark those sorts of guys that would have got in and i had them all on a short list and in the end i was like no i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna go my ben dunk glenn phillips experiment here <laughs> and uh see how we go with the uh, l- most
0: all-round cricketer that perhaps ever existed Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends nine nineteen. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hosting a summer barbecue? A backyard movie night? A slip and slide party? Serving up Aperol spritzes? Whatever you're hosting, don't do it without Drizzly, your go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered to your door. Boom! Hosting handled. Now, before you get back to folding napkins, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations.
1: Yeah, and I mean, maybe, you know, if he is to have a ball in this team, I don't know, WG Grace's beard could keep Wicket for you, but yeah, just Will, maybe we'll maybe contemplate yeah. yeah, have WG Grace at slip and maybe late WG Grace sort of covers Wicket Keeper. <laughs> yeah, who knows? That definitely adds up. But anyway, you also picked someone in this team who I had personally never, ever heard of. and. Boy, was I deprived, because this is some story. As soon as I read about up on the Maharaj Kumar of Vizya Nagram, I went and Wikipedia and crick infoed the crap out of this guy. And turns out he, of course, was royalty in pre-partition India. And he played three test matches for India, Average eight with Can the you bat. Put, uh, quotation marks around played, please. Yeah. He was sure. in three Asterisk. test matches. <laughs> Yes, uh, and uh, he played as a specialist batter, averaging eight, which really says it all. And long story short, he used his influence to earn that, or not earn, but buy his way through to that test appearance, or three. So yeah, why, Jared, is all I'll ask. Because I've been a bit shocked that
2: no one's kind of done this yet. So we know that there's been mm. some minor league teams in in um America. We know that there's been a case in Sri Lanka and one case in India where... um board members politicians have gone through mm. and we've seen some as i said some team owners i mean i was at Lucia when you know the uh, the team owner was going to make his 18 year old son the general manager it's not mm. only a small step to saying how's your off spin do you want to play a game yeah. um and i think busy I, I really do think that it's something that we will see more as these sort of pop-up leagues occur mm. of people putting family members or themselves into teams and some crypto bro buys a team and goes, Wow, <laughs> you know, I, I played minor league cricket in England. I reckon I could play in this team and get smashed. And, you know, Vizzy essentially funded the Indian cricket team. And because of that, mm-hmm. he played for the Indian cricket team. He was a specialist, number eight bat, despite the fact he probably wasn't good enough to bat it, number eight, even as a specialist. Um, hmm. when he, he also had some beef going on with some other Maharaj, right? He had you, beef you with everyone. He had beef that. with other Maharajes. He had beef with their best player. He had beef with mm. other random players. He he allegedly offered a watch to someone to run out a no. player in a game um, as punishment. He would offer gifts to the opposition bowlers in tour games to bowl in full tosses. Um, <laughs> and there's a photo, which I think is in the video. It must be in the written article as well, where you see him in a in, um, halfway down the wicket facing. Do you remember the bowler? Um, yeah, I
1: think it was uh someone from Australia. No, no, no. Like I tell you who it is. I know stuff. it's not someone
2: from a state, because it's um hmm. who has the most it's England. It's first-class wickets ever. Um, it's the guy with the second most first-class wickets ever in their career. I think that's right. Titch Freeman. Maybe it had so Titch Freeman okay, was yeah, the bowler. Sure. So Titch Freeman took three thousand seven hundred and seventy-six wickets. Right, mm-hmm. and he's bowling to a guy who has bought his way onto a tour, and I can't remember who the wicketkeeper was, but you know the wicketkeeper might have been less, his, less Ames. Ah, uh, was Les Ames. I was going to say if it wasn't Les Ames, <laughs> it was someone like Les Ames. So Les Ames, you know, more Gilchrist than Gilchrist in some ways. He was so much mm-hmm. more dominant than any wicketkeeper batter had ever been before. Um, and, you know, I think he averages something like thirteen or fourteen runs more than the closest wicketkeeper batter did in his era. <laughs> and you've got two all-time great cricketers out there and in the middle of them sandwich in the middle is this fat middle-aged man who bought his <laughs> way onto the team who shouldn't have been there who clearly just could not you, you can't look at that photo remember there was this one guy um, online who was really upset at everything i said about Vizzy in the, in this mm. and i don't think this guy knew a lot about cricket i think you you know but um maybe he knew something about the politics whatever and i said look you're just gonna have to trust me that everyone who saw this guy, even his friends, said he should not have been playing for India and that it was an embarrassment <laughs> and that everything he did was wrong. But yeah, I, I think in that photo, he's wearing a cravat is the bit that I remember. So he's halfway <laughs> down the wicket to Titch Freeman. He's literally four meters out of the crease, right? And it looks hmm. like Les Ames has just either
1: taken the bails off or that he's just been bowled. I don't, I don't know what the situation was. And well, he was, if he's taken the stumps off, then he's literally uprooted the middle stumps. So I, I doubt that was the scenario.
2: Yeah. And so hmm. he's like, he's four meters out of his crease. Like he didn't even understand what was happening to him. It's such an embarrassment. But I really, I still think that this is a, we've seen flirtations with this, as I said. Hmm. Um, and I, I certainly know in minor league cricket, there have been some teams where you have owners playing because they want to. I say more to that because if it gives us crazy stories like Vizzy, as long as it doesn't have it the, happen at the international level, I'm all for it. You could also throw in... Um, zoltan zarawani the uae um, mm. captain who played and of course uh, I, this there's two podcasts in a row i'm going to mention this with you but uh, he played yeah. um,
1: what about julian khan we spoke of him back in the day, but julian right? khan would...
2: did it in club cricket right ah. or not even club cricket his own personal games
1: it's still hmm. the same
2: but at least he, it, it would be like if julian khan suddenly opened the batting for england well not open the batting batted number eight for england that's how bad it would be um Although we've never done this, and we will get to it one day, but the story of Major Bennett, and just remember that Mm. name, one day we'll talk about it, the story of Major Bennett might be my favourite accidental cricketer of all time story. So there are other people who've done sorts of things like this before, but Vizzy was just so ridiculous and so reviled uh, for everything Mm. he did.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's quite an inter- interesting story. So I'm guessing that Vizzy is funding this team. He's paying everyone. Yeah, Yo, I think funded their first team as well, and I think he thought he was going to yeah. captain the first team. Uh, so it was the second Indian tour to tour a uh, second Indian test yeah. team to tour England. Um, and when your team is on the field, I'm guessing Vizzy's coming off and Jim Fort is coming on the field for him, right? Yeah, you can't have Vizzy in the field. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, the, the, one of the funny things was because he makes himself captain,
2: he didn't actually know anything about cricket. So it's not like, hmm. it's not like Mike, if you're imagining he's like a Mike Brealy type guy, right? Like hmm. there's no Mike Brealy knowledge here. Like he didn't really understand how to set a field correctly. He didn't really understand how batting hmm. orders worked or anything. It was just all random because
1: he wasn't, he just wasn't good enough about, uh, at cricket to know any of this sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, if he runs on vibes, maybe the baseball guys should contact him. But <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on, as your all-rounder, you picked Trevor Bailey. And you described him as the gold standard bits and pieces player, given that he averaged two wicket uh, wickets a test. And then also, you know, was a decent bat. He batted every position from one to nine, was a great fielder. But his batting was a bit sluggish, wasn't really a dynamic batter. And you've perhaps gone with like a throwback, snail-paced Ravi Jadeja here, if I were to put it like Sanjay Manjraker. Yeah. Is that the thought?
2: Yeah, um, I, I, I suppose what I thought here is, yeah, it's a bit of a throwback to those sort of early T20 all-rounders when hmm. if you were an all-rounder, you got picked even if you weren't particularly good at that sort of stuff. Hmm. I, I mean, there's a part of me that wonders if he might not have been a good opening batter um, you know, mm-hmm. might have been able to strike the ball a little bit more. But he was a quite a good athlete and quite strong. Um, I'm tr- I'm trying to think of a – perhaps he's like a Chris Jordan that could bat a spot up and then eventually he works it out. Um, mm. But, yeah, I, wanted, I, I just thought, again, a bit like Vinu Mankad, a, a player who very much would be at home for his skill set in T20 cricket in that probably the best defensive – seam bowler ever like just almost impossible what's his you might have it in front of you what is his economy rate in test cricket do you remember i don't think it was 2.38 um he went he went at an over like just a proper stodgy hard to get away Mm. clever kind of bowler um and and so i i think i thought with that you make that bit work right and then you pay him a fortune and you get him in the middle order and you just spend year after year hoping eventually he whacks it. Um, mm. And C- Chris Jordan didn't whack it for ages. I-, I kept Teams kept telling me, oh, you know, all-rounder. And I was like, all-rounder and what? For so many years he, was, he wasn't making any runs and he was striking around 105, 110. What do you think you're getting out of Chris Jordan that I'm missing here? And then eventually <laughs> Chris Jordan works it out because, you know, he is a strong guy and he worked out how to hit boundaries. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that Trevor Bailey would fit into that kind of um, uh, uh, style. But also, there was a guy called Evan Golbus, who I don't think you would have ever heard of.
1: No, I have heard of him. Awesome. Uh, Played the big bash, didn't he? Did play the big bash.
2: So Evan Golbus was a club cricketer, really, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to the Melbourne Stars about it, and they were like, look, we don't think we can ever get four overs out of him, and we don't think he could probably Mm -hmm. ever bat in the top five or the top six. But Evan Golbus can bat. He can bowl and he can field, which means in any Mm. game, if we have a weakness in one of those three things, we can give Evan Gulbis a couple of extra overs. We can make him feel from boundary to boundary to, you know, spare some of our other fielders. Um, And if we lose a couple of wickets, we can get someone out of it. Well, that is what, you know, um, Trevor Bay, I almost said Bayless. uh, Trevor Bailey (laughs) is in Excelsis. He is that sort of Evan Gulbis type of career and, Mm. you know, Maharuf and, you know, Ashraf and, you know, go through the history of one-day cricket in the 90s and and, and 2000. Robin Singh? Yeah, there's so many of those mm. sorts of guys, right? De- Derek Crooks, right? Those mm. sorts of guys. Go- look up Derek Crooks's numbers. He is, well, I almost put Derek Crooks <laughs> in the side, by the way. Um, those sorts of guys actually do have a place, right? And I think even mm. more so in T20 cricket, if you do have someone like that, and then you hope, You've got a flaw with them. You know what their flaw is. He's a good defensive bowler. You probably use Trevor Bailey as your fifth bowler, right? He's good around the field. And then you hope once or twice a year, he whacks a couple for you. And if he doesn't, then maybe you have to look at how you use him and everything else.
1: But that is a really, that's a T20 problem to have. And I think Trevor Bailey Mm. would be that kind of player. And I mean, of course, he's offering you that value in the field because Mm. like Jadija and Chris Jordan and those kind of players. Exactly. I don't think it's a mistake. All those guys are like that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: One of the things I'm asked about most in cricket is the wobble ball. How do you pick it? What does it do? And does it exist at all? Well, one thing I can tell you is that wobble balls don't help when you're trying to groom your pubis area. For that, you want the seam up precision of Manscaped. Their platinum package will ensure that your package will swing in the best way possible without the seam opening up. Their lawnmower 4.0 will take care of anything out of shape. And then afterwards, you can polish your balls with their moisturiser. Don't be dismissed by wobble balls this year. Go to manscaped.com and use the code REDINCA, all one word, to get your discount and put your balls in the best area you can.
1: All right, so for your mystery spinner, you picked John Gleeson, and as you put it in the piece, you believe that he was born a bit too early, and he primarily relied on an odd grip, you know, for his uh, bowling success, which was also copied by another mystery spinner called Jack Iverson, who didn't last that long in test cricket. But did you see Gleeson as someone like an Ajantha Mendes in your 11? And to that point, don't you think he would have been inevitably found out like Mendes? I think there's a couple of things that he had that Mendes didn't have.
2: Um, I think he was taller and stronger. And the reports Mm. are that he spun the ball a lot more. So I think from Mm. my perspective, I was thinking that he could do it for longer. And also, I think he was, I think he's, I think Mendes' big problem, and I said this from the start, people hated it when I I wrote this article not long after Mm. he came out, which was the biggest problem with Mendes was not that he wasn't skilled, it's that his standard ball wasn't very good. So when hmm. Sunil Narine came through, I said, this guy's going to last. And I went, no, 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 no. And I said, he's going to last because his off-spinner is really, really good. And I said, worst case scenario, he can go back to his off spin while I works on other things. And essentially that's what happened. He went back, he bowled off-spin for a couple of years and then he came back with this knuckleball after the deuce got um, done for chucking, right? He had the ability to do that. And I do hmm. think that in Gleason's case that what we know about him is it was very similar. What you might get, is a very similar career to Sunil Narine, where he probably has two or three years where no one can play. Him. Then he has a couple mm. of years where people get a little bit more on top of him. Then he would have worked something else out to get himself back in the game. I do think he was a little bit more on that kind of level than someone like. Would he have opened the batting though? No, I don't. I don't remember him having any batting talent. Um, mm. Also, I think he was older, wasn't he, um, when he started? Or was that? I always get him and. Um, Iverson confused because they... um... When I was
1: doing some research on him, I came across a Wisden article that called him Jack Gleeson. So, I mean, there's that for you. Yeah, I think...
2: I'm trying to think. My memory is he was a little bit older when he played. Yeah, because he plays for five years at the end, doesn't he? Hmm. Um, Look, I don't know is probably the best answer um, uh, to his... I mean, I knew I know he couldn't bat, but had he started his mm. career a little bit earlier, perhaps um, he would mm. have worked on his batting a little bit more. But I will say this one thing about him being worked out is, I don't know if you looked at his first class record. Uh, I did. 430 wickets at 25. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of bowling. Um, over 20,000 deliveries without anyone kind
1: yeah. of working you out. There's a point... point. And a which... very small uh, limited overs sample size, but he averaged like 16 with the ball in limited overs cricket. You I like that. Mean, that's yeah, I mean, phenomenal. That's yeah. My guess is,
2: if he was good in red ball cricket where you could wait him out, I think he would have been a lot better in white ball cricket where you couldn't wait him out. Right? And Fair enough. And based on the fact that he was also... So he was a much better first-class bowler than Sunil Narayan or Ajanta Mendes. Right? Hmm. And Sunil Narayan could have been a very good bowler, but just didn't get to develop in the way that he could have. So I really do believe that he would be a better bowler um, than those guys. But everything you've said is also true. He might have just got worked out. I mean, Mm -hmm. the one thing that we don't know with him, we do know happened with Gleason, is that batters did start to pick it from the hand, right? Mm -hmm. And they did start to understand it. And remember that Narayan has had to work all this out with super slow motion cameras and everything. And um, mm, I, I don't know, right. if, do you know the full agenda story of how the, the story got out about how to play him? Um, essentially, what happened was, I think this was, I want to say it was Ross Taylor. Ross Taylor realized that when he was bowling the ball that went away, he had it like an antenna mm-hmm. behind the ball. So he had one finger sticking up and it was at the beginning of the players all using blackberries. And so essentially, ah. Ajanta Mendes was not destroyed by one batter or uh, working him out. He was destroyed by BlackBerry and the BBM system. Mm. I think it's BBM. Yeah, it's called BBM. Yes, it was BBM. You should know. Yeah. You're the sort of person who would know that.
1: I went to the university where BBM was made. BlackBerry was founded by the University of, of, of Waterloo. Yeah. There's that whole backstory. But anyway, moving forward, and and before we do, by the way, that Wisden article that I was talking about, he was placed at, I think, four or five of best mystery spinners of all time. So, I mean, there's that whole aspect to this as well. But anyway, when we come to left arm pace, obviously, it's one of those things that you really, really want in your T2011 these days. It's a very sought-after trait and you absolutely need to have one of those guys in your lineup. And you had to dig quite deep because you were looking for someone who was pre-Waseem and you wouldn't have had a lot of names over there. So you settled for the Bodyline Series hero, Bill Vos. And well, Bodyline Bill offered you bounce because he was a tall guy. Mm. He was intimidating. He was effective with the new ball. So was he one of the more straightforward picks in this 11? Uh, The problem was that everyone I
2: wanted to pick, like, Obviously, he was a Ram. We take him aside because hmm. he would be a natural. I think he might have been in my all-time T20 eleven. And then you had he fa- he he played a few T20s as well
1: uh, in yeah. county cricket. Oh yeah. well,
2: in England, exactly. Not too many, but he would have played a little bit. He hit
1: the first ever six in T20 cricket. Did he in England?
2: I like that. That's hmm. a, that's a lovely fact. <laughs> but yeah, I think he would have. Uh, he obviously was natural. So we take him aside. Um, then you had Bruce Reed, who was mm-hmm. potential. Um, and then there was. Alan Davidson, again, was a bit like picking was a macram. It's too obvious, right? Like mm. he was an all-rounder who happened to be the best left-arm bowler of his era. And I was like, well, that's mm. too obvious. I want to go with someone slightly different. The only other one I, I toyed with was Carson Garvery. Do you know Carson Garvery? Mm. I do not. So he played for India. And I think he took 100 wickets in test cricket. But why I like Carson Garvery is he bowled pace and spin. And I did like ah. the idea of my left. I, that was very common for left-arm bowlers to do that up until very recently because hmm. it meant that you had a left-arm seamer in your team and then they could bowl a little bit of finger spin, as left-arm finger spin as well. So you had, a double, you know, so Sobers obviously did it. Uh, Graham hmm. Wagg was probably the last of the professionals to do it um, uh, uh, who played a lot for Glamorgan. But it, it's kind of died out now as, as, a, as a thing. But I do wish it would come back because it's really, it's a cool little quirk. Hmm. Anyway. Carson Garvey was on my list, but I went with Bill Vos partly because I think, you know, there's a bit of Dirk Nannis in Bill Vos. He wasn't quite as quick, Mm. obviously, but that Neil Wagner sort of short ball bowling, left arm bowler, uh, you know, highly skillful. But also if you look before World War II, he was the left arm bowler. There isn't Mm. like another one right you do get a crop tough action to
1: pick as well yeah. really really tough action to you
2: pick. get a couple of them that c- come in in the 1950s um mm. in davidson and garvery and then there's um uh the guy from new zealand as well whose name i've forgotten but there's no one really before world war ii and that means that for a period of time bill Vos was left arm scene right mm. and and, I, and I, I don't think that people understand that you know, how little left arm scene was bowled up until Bruce Reed and Wasamakram really come through. You know, mm. up until that point, it just wasn't a thing. And I thought Bill Vos was great. But also, you know, we talk a lot about Larwood. And I think the more that I've learned about short pitch bowling and Neil Wagner and all these sorts of things, you realize that what Larwood did was incredible. But he also, the fact he had a left arm who was, as you said, tall with this sort of, you know, slightly ungainly action, not as mm. quick as him but cause just as many problems, c- kind of does go back to the fact that we know that left-armers do that. So I wanted to honour one of the great early left-armers. You know, it was, um, it was certainly, you know, Garvery was probably, Carson Garvery was probably one of the other ones that I was, I think it was Carson. Um, but I, mm. um, uh, he was one of the others that, that I had, you know, on that list. But I, I just went with Vos just because I just don't think we talk about Vos enough c- considering what a phenomenal impact he had on uh, left-arm scene bowling when no one else was doing it.
1: Yeah, and he's going to have a phenomenal impact on this team as well. I can tell you that for sure because he's one of those names that really, really stands out. There are a few other ones and the guy who I'm talk- going to talk about next is also one of those guys. So you went for an off spinner in your 11 and you picked up one of the legends of the game. Someone who could only turn it one way, so didn't have the Dusra or anything of that sort. It didn't even exist back then. But he had freakishly long fingers and accounted for 309 test victims. He was very frugal with the ball and extracted a fair bit of spin and bounce as well. I'm talking about West Indian legend Lance Gibbs. And I think this was probably a more, you know, short short sort of off-spinning pick for you. Because, you know, back in the day, he was... The leading wicket-taker in test cricket, right? When he retired.
2: Yeah, leading wicket-taker. So he's the second bowler or third bowler to bowl 300. Truman.
1: Truman was the first? Yeah, I think
2: Truman was first. And then it must have been Gibbs, Hmm. might have been second. I think that's right. Um, Had an economy rate of, do you remember it? Have you got it in front of you? Two
1: point something? No,
2: not two point something. One point something. 1.98 was his economy. Um, Wow. Look, he bored people out. He was brilliant at setting fields and bowling to even attacking batters and just stopping them. And hmm. look, I th- I think obviously there's the the you know I couldn't really find a wrist spinner who was defensive. Like every wrist spinner kind of who's ever been successful was an attacking bowler, and it was kind of a little hmm. bit too obvious to go with those. Do you know what I mean? If Anil Kumble yeah. had played in the seventies. Right. I probably would have picked Anil Kumble as my wrist spinner, but I was like, Hmm. that that didn't really, that kind of, Anil Kumble is like a one of one. We really haven't had many other wrist spinners like him. And also has a decent T20 career. Yeah, exactly. We know he worked. So it wouldn't have worked Hmm. for this particular thing. But I was thinking that if you had the best off spinner in the world, and that's what, you know, Gibbs obviously was, and he was particularly miserly and that was his main set of skills, that would still work. Right? And I don't need to worry about his batting because I have so much batting um, in this side already. And I've already got a left arm finger spinner up the order as well. Mm. Um, so I've got the, the guy that went the other way. And plus, if Richard Austin wants to, he can ball spin as well. Um, <laughs> and my, my little bit of boycott spin. So yeah, I, I just wanted to honour him. But also, the one thing that I think is worth talking about is that this was a guy who, because of what happened after his career, that you know the west indies seamers and everything else just and and he played with sobers and the three w's right he just didn't Mm -hmm. get the respect that he should have got and he was a phenomenally talented bowler and and i think you know the stories of 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 the way he bowled i don't think it's sexy to watch i don't think i don't think we would have loved to watch him in a way that we love to watch ashwin right Mm -hmm. but what i do think is he'd be a fascinating bowler to watch in t20 cricket if that was what you wanted him to do you know i I, you know i suppose in some ways he's like my off spinning version of michael beer right of that Mm. sort of guy that just does not let you score and does everything he can to stop you scoring um i reckon that would be absolutely fascinating to watch and we haven't had many of those absolutely you know nail down bowlers um in that sort of way I, i just think it would be fascinating to watch him go about his work
1: yeah, no, definitely. I mean, he's one of those West Indian legends who doesn't, rightly, you pointed out, get talked about much, you know? But anyone who has, you know, watched Fire in Babylon and stuff that goes way back over there, maybe there's some mention of Landscape. I don't think Even he's he mentioned in Fire in Babylon. Yeah, yeah. I actually he's think, before that time. Yeah,
2: I think they mentioned, but that's the kind of the point, right? Like, A, it mm. tells you how many great plays they had in, in a small period of time. But right, he just, you know, he wasn't, he just didn't, He didn't have cut through, right? He just Mm. didn't end up being famous. And um, I really wonder what he would have been. I I mean, he's an off spinner. Maybe he still wouldn't have been famous now. But I do really wonder what he would have been in T20 cricket. He certainly would have got paid better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he definitely needs a better PR guy. And he's still around. Lance Gibbs is alive. So Lance, if you're watching this, you know, if you need a PR guy, both of us are available. We'll do the job for
2: you. My memory is he lives (laughs) (laughs) in America. I think that's right, isn't it? I
1: think that's right. Big podcast fan, I'm sure. Hmm, for sure. But anyway, your number 11, you for your number 11, you went with an out-and-out legend, Pakistan's first ever cricketing legend, the man who had great hair, the man who left batters of his time absolutely fuzzled. There's a pun in there. And then he was also the first bowler to take 12 wickets uh, versus four nations, four different nations. And in Pakistan's first seven test victories, he had 65 wickets. In all of the games that Pakistan played when he was playing, he would take 40% of the wickets. Mm. So Fazal Mahmood, one of the most potent weapons Pakistan has had, particularly in the early days when they were a very, very young Mm. Test nation. He was responsible for a lot of the victories and he didn't go for much runs and took wickets in heaps. So he is really kind of a cheat code with the new ball in your team, isn't he?
2: Yeah, so I I don't think I see Bill Vos as a new ball bowler. I think you probably Mm. get one over out of Vos. You probably get maybe one or two out of Bailey at the top if you need them. And Mm. so I really, I needed a new ball specialist. Um, And I thought that, you know, picking, you know, picking Fuzzle was, you were going to get a lot of wickets. And, you know, I suppose the Pakistani teams are a perfect example of this, of, you know, Mm. having success by having people who take wickets in a, you know, a lot of wickets in, you know, in a small period of time, you know, having that attacking bowler. And if you look at my bowling lineup, you know, Lance Gibbs is a defensive bowler, um, Vinu Mancat is a defensive bowler, Bailey was a defensive bowler, you mm-hmm. know, Vos is kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, and obviously, you know, uh Gleason is more of an attacking bowler, but I want I mm. wanted someone whose job was to literally just to come in and get wickets. And then mm. on the bad days you back him up with the defensive bowls, and on the good days you just keep attacking with other uh, attacking options. So that was that was the idea again not a cricketer who i think is thought of enough didn't play mm-hmm. enough tests perhaps um was incredibly handsome man as well there's mm-hmm. some very cool yep. photos of him there's one with him and a cigarette in his hand uh where he looks like a male model um was an explosive cricketer. And I think he would have really suited uh, one-day cricket from that perspective of just cutting Mm -hmm. teams open, you know, in that early period. Uh, Maybe even, he's very clever as well. So even coming back in the middle and probably taking wickets again. um, Mm -hmm. I I just thought that, you know, it was worth going. Plus I already had a left armour as well. So I didn't need another left armour in in that side. Um, But yeah, I, I do think he's probably one of the more underrated new ball bowlers of all time. And mm-hmm. it's because he didn't play as much and because Pakistan weren't particularly good and because he played on matting as well. Like a lot of it, it's kind of, you know, some of his record is overlooked because of that. But, but you know, I could have gone Richard Hadley here because I would have got a little bit more batting with Richard Hadley. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, again, Malcolm Marshall is someone that could have given you a little bit more batting. I think Ray Lindwall right. maybe um, batted uh, could have batted as well. So there's a few guys in history and there's, you know, some of the really old fast bowlers I thought about, you know, George Lohman. Uh, <laughs> um and those sorts of guys. <laughs> but I just thought that uh Fuzzle, you know, I, I just he felt like a real proper the sort of guy in a one-day game. I'm trying to think of someone who you would relate to, but the sort of guy in a one-day game that you kind of just give the ball to and you just go, wickets. Shahin, you know, that kind right. of Shaheen type of thing. Uh, Jason hmm. Berendorf, right? A right arm version of Jason Berendorf. We just like, if you bowl out, you bowl out, right? do what you do, and we'll work out the rest of the team around you. Uh, but, I, you know, a fantastic cricketer. And again, not, I,
1: it just doesn't have the reputation of someone of his talent level should. Yeah, I think the only reason that I know about him so much is because he was Pakistani. And whenever you talk about Pakistan's first teams, Kardar and Fazil Mahmood are those two names that really stick out. And I mean, I knew some people who were related to him. So yeah, there's also that connection. But um, I mean, yeah, it's uh, the hair. And, of course, the puns. I mean, I think you should have a T-shirt that says, you know, he's been fuzzled or he's been whackered. That one would sell because of Waka Yunus. But anyway, I think that wraps things up. If I were to make this team, I would definitely find some room for Majid Khan. I just want to put that out there. Um, but anyway, well, yeah, I you think... Could have, uh, the Muhammad Brothers would be interesting
2: uh, hmm. as the inventors of the reverse. I mean, you could... I think there's some good random cricketers that you... I, I'd love to see someone like Herbert Sutcliffe uh, mm-hmm. Wally Hammond actually probably would have been a very good t twenty player uh would have liked the uh-huh. the flat decks and people not bowling bouncers at him as well um <laughs> you know so i yeah I do think there's some really really interesting cricketers out there that you could you could throw into some of these uh teams and that 's kind of the point that i I think at times t twenty cricket's not thought of as cricket by uh, you know mm-hmm. A good percentage, and a lot of people who listen by Jeffrey boycott certainly by Jeffrey boycott. (laughs) I always go back to the Ricky Ponting thing, which I mention a lot. But I I love that story of Ricky Mm. Ponting didn't know that one day cricket wasn't important, so he played Mm. it like it was important, and that's what I was fascinated at. How these guys would have gone if they thought it was important when they were playing it, right? And it wouldn't have naturally suited all of their skill sets. So how would they have worked out how to make it happen? Hmm. And I found that more interesting than going, "Wow, you open with Victor Trumper and Gilbert Jessup comes in at seven, and you know Viv's at number three, and you know uh, Alan Davidson's your, you you know, and Aubrey Faulkner and all these." Yeah, but that's Hmm. obvious, right? Now now we're just picking attacking cricketers. How do you find the players who don't make sense? And I, I found that a far more interesting topic. Um, than anything else but it was it was really really cool and hopefully in 20 years time I can do one on all the best T20 cricketers and how they play test cricket if test cricket still exists or if it doesn't exist actually in that case
1: of course or even you know if you know, those T20 cricketers aren't playing test cricket and who are playing test cricket are players that we don't know about. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But anyway, yeah, I mean, it definitely made for an interesting read and I hope that, you know, to all listeners, it also made for an interesting podcast. That's it for this episode of Footmarks. I'm Beraam Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and with me was Jared Kimber. Thank you so much for your time, both Jared and everyone else. That's all for today. Goodbye.
2: Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Sena Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content.